and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown presented by Mass Live. I'm Chris Cotillo, your host of the show. Today we're welcomed by the newest member of the Red Sox, Matt Andres. Matt signed a one-year deal with a club option with the Red Sox last week and is kind enough to join us. So first of all, Matt, congrats on signing the deal and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yep, thank you. So I guess we'll uh, hop right into uh, what it was like going through the free agent process. This was your first time going through it, right? Yeah, first time. Um wasn't really expecting it, but you know, it wasn't. There's was a there's a lot of interest out there, and I was really happy with the the, the Red Sox, their interest, and when they when I heard that they were interested, I, you know, Fenway was always one of my favorite places to visit. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the long the long history there and um, familiar faces within the team and the front office, and it seemed like a no brainer for me. So. So you were non-tendered, I think, December 2nd, and you said that was a little bit of a surprise, and then a three-week recruitment process. What was, I guess, what was the Red Sox pitch? I mean, obviously, you said in your intro Zoom call with us, they're going to give you, you know, the opportunity to, to maybe start, you know, give you flexibility with your role, obviously, the familiarity with High and Bloom, but um, other than that stuff, what was their pitch to try to get you to come? Yeah, I think when I hit free agency, I really, you know, like, I've still viewed myself as a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've kind of bounced around the last, you know, three years um, in that relief role, starter role, bulk inning role, which kind of all started with uh, Tampa when they started the the opener. Right. So that was kind of like their first trial at it. And then, uh, you know, it's I've had some success and just being put in different different roles, you know. Uh, the consistency is always tough, but uh, um, just being being available to pitch day in day out and any type of role is is what's kind of prolonged my career. And uh, when uh, when Boston came to me and you know they knew that we were wanting to be a starter um, and they have you know have a need for some starting pitching, uh, that was kind of like my uh, my cue to get to head over there so it seems like you know you, you signed only three weeks after being becoming a free agent that things came together pretty quickly yeah my uh, my agents did a great job and um yeah i wasn't really i didn't want to really test the market too much and wait for a bunch of other people i was just excited with what what had uh you know been offered and i didn't want to go through the whole process you know with my wife and my kids just want some security knowing where we're going to be the incentives in the deal you know that you could max out 150 innings suggests that they really do believe in you as a starter despite the last couple of years where you pitched in in different relief roles um mm-hmm. obviously there's a ton of innings that need to be covered on this team eduardo rodriguez we don't know how long if he'll be back or able to go you know 200 innings chris sale coming back in the middle of the summer so um as you build up as you prepare for spring training which we're you know tentatively if it goes on a schedule six weeks away you're mm-hmm. fully building up to you know be able to go five six innings yeah um every every spring training for me i get built up as a starter even the years that i've been put in the bullpen um you get built up spring training to five or six innings and go into the season and then whatever role that team needs at the time if they you know sign up a, a starter late in spring training or I think just having that flexibility for a front office or a manager is beneficial for the team. But, um, yeah, you know, I'll build up as a starter and then um, going into the season, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. 
they obviously, you know, during the recruitment process, thoroughly relationship with Heim Bloom, as you said, played a role. I mean, he's a guy that for most of your career, you were in Tampa, got to know. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, and I've heard stories about, and it, it was obviously different this year in his first year with the Red Sox because, you know, everybody had to be separate and we probably didn't get the full, you know, Heim Bloom experience. But, you know, from reading and hearing from former Rays players, it sounded like he was the kind of guy that would come into the clubhouse after games and crack a beer and like hang out with the players, that type of stuff. Curious if you had any of those experiences where you got to know him really on a personal level during your time down there. I don't really vividly remember those times, but I do just ha- remember having the, you know, a good, good communication process, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, especially in my type of scenario, um, not knowing when I'm going to be pitching. Like, I, I feel like I could always go to Heim and, and ask him, you know, like, Hey, yeah. what, what what are your thoughts here? Um, you know, it just makes the player much more comfortable and confident when, when you kind of know what, what, what type of role you're going to be in or, and what type of, uh, or how you're valued. So yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about him. And during the process and you know, going back, back and forth with him, I'm sure it made things a lot easier to have that history. And, and I think you said on the call, not have to deal with the pleasantries and all the, the upfront and stuff that you might without some other teams you don't know as well. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a big, big plus. So something that I think has been interesting for, for me the last couple of years, just watching kind of how Red Sox fans uh, are reacting, you know, after kind of the Dave Dombrowski tenure where there's a lot of big moves and blockbusters and trading prospects. And even before that was Carrington, you know, big contracts, Hanley Ramirez, Pablo mm-hmm. Sandoval, you know, other than the Mookie move, which was a selling move, like the Red Sox are, are kind of trying to, replicate what the Rays did build from the ground up you know some short-term deals where they they like you know something under the hood and a guy those types of things and it's funny that the Red Sox fans kind of have this oh are they turning into you know the Tampa Bay Rays north and they have that with like a negative connotation so my retort to that on Twitter to people has been actually over the last 10 years the Rays have won more games than the Red Sox obviously that hasn't translated to you know World Series championships like it has here but um Mm -hmm people for some reason think that that's a bad thing. Um, I think it'd be interesting to ask you being there for, for four or five years, like how impressive is that organization top to bottom? I mean, you you went through it, you saw them in the world series this year. Like I don't understand personally why people talk about this as it's, it's a negative thing when they've had the success they've had. Yeah. I think the negative connotation that gets brought on them is just when the players start to succeed. Yeah. Um, they have to get their value in them. So they have to trade them for, it's just a, a never ending process. But, right. um, you know, I was traded there. I was in triple a with San Diego, mm-hmm. um, you know, knocking on the door of the big leagues and got traded to Tampa. Um, then spent the whole next year in triple a again, just, uh, with just learning different ways to pitch. You know, I kind of that year in 2014, uh, pretty much reformed like, reform my career I was a sinker ball sinker slider curveball you know and my changeup was like not as developed as it was when I was in San Diego and uh I were working with a pal Snyder mm-hmm. and um he really like just taught me how to pitch uh what my strengths were you know in the strike zone committing to throwing strikes um so I mean the, the coaching staff there they they, they use their resources wisely and and uh, get the most out of the players. Are you surprised at how much the opener thing has taken off? Obviously, it was kind of 
you know, Ray's brainchild back in I think eighteen, and and now, especially in the shortened season last year, where everything was screwed up, and you know guys weren't all the way built up. Like it seems to be, you know, more common than I think I thought it would ever be. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea behind it in the beginning I wasn't too fond of because mm. it was sort of my slotted uh, rotation spot. Yeah, but uh, you know, seeing the success behind it and cer- how certain players kind of got better you know you know facing the lineup three times through only face you know facing the only having to face a hitter twice is much easier than facing them three for uh, the third time through the lineup but yeah just seeing the <clears throat> the success behind it all um kind of like opens your ears a little bit just to kind of understand why people were were doing better in tampa you you said you became friends with uh native Aldi, who was there for i think he was there for 17 rehabbing and then 18 pitch before getting traded to the Red Sox. Uh, how close are you guys? Obviously, he's become a fan favorite and uh, kind of a rotation stalwart here for the last three years. No, we're very close. Um, with him rehabbing and was it you say 17? Yeah. Was it seven? Yeah. Yeah. Rehabbing at 17, you know, got to know him. Um, saw him in the clubhouse. Didn't get to interact with him as much, obviously, being on the field. And then 18, you know, um, he's such a hard worker um, on and off the field, like in terms of workouts, throwing, just well-prepared routines. Uh, he helped me kind of um, gather that kind of like um, workout regimen, you know, like just throwing, just someone good to bounce ideas off of like on the field or in between starts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we've had a really good relationship. I still talk to him even uh, when we are playing against, each other the last couple of years, you know, meet up for breakfast before, before, uh, heading to the field. So he's one of my good buddies and still talk to him daily. Did he recruit you during this process? Uh, I wouldn't say recruited, but I did, <laughs> I did have some phone calls with him mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of give me the ins and outs of kind of different scenarios. So, yeah, I've, I've heard about, you know, I've, I've heard other teammates of his talking about like his legendary workout routine, like in between starts that nobody goes harder than he does like what does that consist of really um i i'm not really sure now because it's been a few years and i know that he's probably getting wiser in his old age (laughs) but (laughs) um i think just his he's just um his strength is just is what is amazing you know like in terms of his velocity and then just the i don't know he's just a workhorse i think that's just the best word to put out there is a that workhorse mentality mm-hmm. another not a current red Sox pitcher but a, a former one that you uh are also close with college teammates with joe kelly right yep so right. i think we've seen you know the last that's uh, at, at uc riverside in boston we in 2018 saw and before that saw some you know crazy joe kelly moments and big personality you know the brawl all that type of stuff give me a good story about him during college do you have any wild joe kelly college stories uh nothing that comes to mind but one thing that i i would say is that he's just a freak athlete yeah um i mean whether it be during baseball season fall ball winter ball we would you know we'd always go to the gym play basketball like play a couple pickup games not like crazy but you know shoot around and Mm -hmm. uh, i just literally remember him just dunking the ball easily just um 
I mean, just whatever sport he was doing, you know, even playing golf. Yeah. We would always just have that competition of, well, like Joe's just a freak athlete. <laughs> Is he another guy that you talked to during this process at all? Uh, Not quite in this process, but, you know, occasionally talk to him here and there and seeing him right. uh, across the diamond. So. <laughs> During during your time in Tampa, I mean, obviously the Angels didn't play the Red Sox this year, and, and I don't think you played a Fenway with Arizona. But um, during your time in the division, a lot of games at Fenway, uh, and you said that it was always one of your favorite places to pitch. And like you know, everybody uh, who plays for another team always says that. But do you have any you know good Fenway memories that really stand out? I do remember one start there that. Um, it was brutally cold and rainy. It was like probably 35 degrees. I mean, just on the verge of snowing. Um, I could be wrong on all this. But you were wondering where the roof was at that point? I was at that point, yeah. It was, <laughs> I think it was early in the season. Mm. I want to say it was. It might have been Father's Day. But uh, I think it was just one of those wet games where – yeah. pro- honestly, probably my, one of my first times pitching like in uh, the rain slash cold – Mm-hmm. So uh, I just knew in, in between pitches, it took me a while to, you know, get my hands warm. I think I ended up going five innings that day and getting the win. But I just vividly remember, like, you know, the grind. But, I, I you know, over the years, we've gotten definitely used to that. So, yeah. Was it and, and this is like a, a cliche question that the fan another thing the fans harp on, but what is that dynamic like you know when you're pitching for tampa and you're pitching in kind of that low energy environment where you don't have many fans in the stands and then you go to a, a packed fenway on the road or you go to a packed yankee stadium on the road is, is it kind of a the, damn i wish we had this type of situation yeah i think i think everybody you know tends to get better when the, the environment and the adrenaline are gone right that's just i think it's just those the type of players that need to <clears throat> you know fine-tune them like learn to, to breathe and to relax more. Um, you just got to know when to flip the switch and when to take an extra breath. But yeah, playing in Tampa, you know, you always were wondering like, man, we need to spice up this environment a little bit. But yeah, I love playing at Yankee Stadium in Fenway just to get that extra adrenaline. I mean, I don't know what you could ask for. You already you had DJ Kitty who was trying to uh, <laughs> jazz up the crowd down there. That apparently didn't oh. work. So I do want to ask you about something I read where, um, you know, I think a lot of people spent kind of the quarantine time not really making any progress in life and not being productive at all. And you actually, you know, either learned or relearned two pitches, um, cutter and a two seamer. What was, what was that process like? What went into it? And, and, um, you know, obviously just looking at StatCast and Brooks baseball and stuff, it looks like you did have a little bit different of a pitch mix this year, but was that, um, geared toward you know starting again or I, I guess just the whole decision to do that yeah um, I think in my in my time with Arizona I kind of just developed into just a fastball changeup guy yeah and with occasional curveball and uh, late in my time there I started just throwing a couple of bullpens here and there throwing some two seams and and um and some cutters. I, I've always, I've always had those pitches. It's not like I, I re- had to relearn them or I've actually, I've had a good feel for kind of like manipulating the ball in that sense. But, uh, during the, during the quarantine time and, uh, 
with Anaheim. I was uh, fortunate enough to, to work out at the stadium mm-hmm. and throw some bullpens in between, you know, all that, but, but just like on our own, essentially with the, with the catcher and stuff right. like that. But um, yeah, I would just, we'd throw two bullpens a week, not knowing when the season was going to start. So I kind of just had a lot of time to fool around with stuff. And, um, you know, those pitches kind of came back. It's, and then um, once the spring training 2.0 came back, I was having some good success with, you know, throwing in on righties with the two seam front door and cutters just mm-hmm. just manipulating the ball within the strike zone so is there something in that mix that the red sox you know liked i guess i mean i was talking to them and, and I, I the phrase was brought up to me a couple times with just talking to people in the organization like look at his numbers under the hood like there's a lot to like under the hood there yeah i think uh all in all I, if you just broadly look at my numbers in terms of you know era and my area is in the four but mm-hmm. if you actually look, dig deep into the numbers the batting average against this last year and whip and swing and miss and you know getting ahead in the count i think there's more more to like than what people what the fans actually see in terms of oh, his era was this or his win loss record was this but yeah i mean i think also and being a pitcher that does multiple roles it is it's i feel like being consistent is the hardest thing and mm-hmm. i feel like once you get on that good consistent routine you just you, you, you cruise and i finished the season strong and uh yeah looking forward to this season for sure yeah there's some similarities there last year they signed martin perez who uh kind of the under the hood numbers looked a lot better and you know other than one or two bad starts he had a great year and became a fan favorite so um mm-hmm that it seems like you know the baseball a quick glance at the baseball reference doesn't always tell the whole story but uh some people don't understand that still in 2020 i want to just ask a couple more kind of off topic non-baseball questions um that jumped out just by kind of uh things that, that uh you know you're interested in <clears throat> so there is uh a rumor that you are a huge hockey fan um <clears throat> which I don't know if that's common growing up in, in California or uh, it was just something you kind of picked up on your own, but uh, obviously a market that loves hockey here and, and um, Boston, but what went into becoming that really, I guess, like I said, rare from where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, I grew up kind of a ducks fan. We'd go to games occasionally yeah. in Southern California. And then uh, when I was with Tampa, they were really good, you know, going to play, uh, playoffs, I think Stanley cup, and I, I really became a fan there. I would go to as many games as I could, you know, mm-hmm. in between games or spring training. Um, so that's when it kind of took off. And then me and my wife liked to uh, go to different arenas. So, like, that was our um, – that was, like, our main thing. We'd, we'd try to go to – like, I, we, we went to Madison Square Garden, saw the Rangers play. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in Dallas, so we see the Stars play often. Went to Vegas. So we kind of just bounce around different – different arenas to see uh um, games i went to uh, stanley cup to watch the caps and vegas play um on an off day in washington so it's just kind of there wasn't really one thing that really like changed me into being a huge hockey fan it was mainly just going to games in in uh in tampa that kind of really made me pay attention to it and you know then i got the nhl packages and i would watch them after games before (laughs) So it's just kind of a prolonged thing. Yeah, I and mean, if they open up 
the garden at some point this year fans and you can check another one off your list there yep i'm looking forward to it uh last thing i wanted to ask and something that you know when you follow you on on twitter which i have for a while you notice a lot of tweets about something called the cup check game um and you know i think it's, it's kind of a unique venture um you're gonna explain it better than i can because you're one of the founders so what is it how did it come about um and, and who are some of the people that you work with on that so we back in the like probably four or five years ago when i was with tampa um there's kevin jebson who is our ceo we kind of founded this game mm-hmm. it was an idea and then um we all got together at, at a nascar race in arizona before, in the off season and we kind of set up the game um we're playing it and people were beginning to watch it's um you know you have two poles on each side with frisbees it's a frisbee game mm-hmm. um the goal is to get to 21 um but yeah like the, the whole uh reason behind it was we weren't really in it to obviously make money it was more about just having a group of guys um together that we can make something fun that the fans could watch like you know connect to um yeah like evan longoria is part of it kevin jepson garrett richards alex cobb myself kirby yates kurt casali so there's a there's a group of guys that it allows us to stay connected and Mm -hmm. and also we uh we paired up with um testicular cancer research Mm -hmm. um so it was more about you know giving back to that too and yeah it's really cool some of our uh proceeds are going to that so there's a couple guys on that list that have been linked to the red Sox. so are you going to recruit Kirby Yates, Garrett Richards, some of these near cup check guys <laughs> to try to join you. If I hear the rumors, I'll give them a call. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds yeah. good. Well, that's Matt Andres, newest member of the Red Sox. Matt, thanks again for for joining us, and hopefully, uh, we will be able to talk in person at some point in 2021. Who, who knows? But we're hoping. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man.